If we were to take a survey, go outside on Pico Boulevard, take a survey, and ask people, what is the most precious thing? We'd all get all kinds of answers, but probably the uh, most common answer is life. Life is a precious thing. But sometimes you could be living in the language of Rabbi Wahlberg, because a truck didn't run you over, you're alive because a truck didn't run you over, or you're alive because you're really alive. So the question is, are we really taking our lives and living life to the fullest, or are we just being dragged along with life? Let's discuss this in the context of this Torah portion, and the time that we're in the year, that's coming from all the holidays, and now everyone's back in the first full week of the year, for the first, and back and saying the confessionary prayers again, Tachlun. So, in this whole change in energy, Hashem tells us to read the Torah portion about the flood. And the flood seems to be very uh, appropriate, because everyone's now re-engaging with all the flood of worries and thoughts that we temporarily disengaged with during the holiday season, or we tried to, at least some of us. And now we have to go back into the, to dealing with all the different the financial concerns, material concerns, and there is a major shift in energy. And in this um, shift, Hashem tells us to read the story of Noah. The reason we're supposed to read the story of Noah is because Noah's story, his story, the story of Noah and our story, is very similar. The Torah introduces Noah by saying his name three times. It says, these are the chronicles of Noah. Noah was a righteous person. God walked with Noah. So he said, the Torah repeats his name once, twice, three times. Why is it repeated three times in a row? So the reason it repeats it three times is because, Talmud says, is because Noah lived through three different worlds. He lived through the world before the flood. He lived through the world of the flood. And he lived in the world after the flood. And the, the words of the sages, the words of the Talmud are very precise. There were actually three different worlds. Think about it. First, there's a world before the flood. And there's people, there's, there's, there's a world. There's meadows and forests and parks and businesses and, there's, oh, and animals. And you talk to people who've been through a, a crisis like an earthquake. And they do, when they describe the moment of the earthquake, you can see the, the instability that they're reliving. They, they, they feel, you know, the strongest thing we feel is the ground we step on. And, and they know the ground they step on isn't, isn't so stable. It's not there. And in a similar way, think about the trauma that this had on Noah. He, he wakes up in the morning and he sees all these people and he sees all these families and all these houses and all this going on. And then later on in the day, it's all gone. All there is, is this huge tsunami, this huge ocean, and all that there is in this ocean is just this boat. There's a boat and there's an ocean, and everything is gone, all there is is a boat. You can imagine the kind of, uh, of a trauma that could do to a person. Then there is post-flood, there's a time of the flood, and then after the flood, Noah again has to engage in rebuilding the world. And Noah rises to the occasion and he is fully engaged in recreating uh, the world, rebuilding the world. The question is, how do he do it? He's living through three completely different times. Before the flood, the world is pretty, I mean, it's a depraved society, but it's civilized in some way. 
Then there's a flood itself where there's no world anymore. All there is is a boat in the ocean. Then there is a whole different kind of scenario, a whole different set of circumstances. How did Noah have the ability to rebuild himself and the world anew in all these circumstances? The truth is a similar question to be asked about the Jewish people. In a way, the Jewish people also, in this, in this time, this generation, experienced a flood. The Holocaust, the Islam. There was a total, Rahman al-Islam, a, a uh, Holocaust that destroyed millions and millions of people's lives. And Eli Wazel, he marked an interesting comment he made. He said, if we were to look at all of history, we would notice something remarkable that would stand out of all of history, something miraculous. And that is, after the Holocaust, instead of the Jewish people um, deciding to like be consumed with vengeance, let's get back at those guys. Like let's let's hurt them. Let's be you know, these. Let's, let's instead of being consumed with vengeance, what did the Jewish people do after the Holocaust? They rebuilt. They rebuilt everywhere, wherever they went. They rebuilt and they flourished. And even in places we think that you no know, religion isn't like a thing, it really is. You know how many synagogues there are in Tel Aviv? Tel Aviv has over five hundred shuls. Yeah. So, so there are um, a lot of a lot of similarities of the Jewish people in the Holocaust uh, and the rebuilding at the Holocaust. They asked them during the Nuremberg trial, trials, and they were interrogating the famous Nazi uh, Rudolf uh, Hess. They asked him, uh, "What are we trying to do?" He said, "We want to destroy the Jewish people. There should be no Jews anymore." So they asked him, like, "Did you really believe what was going to happen?" Said, yeah, me and Hitler and Eichmann, we all thought there would be no more Jews. They asked them, what about the Jews in America, the Jews in Australia, the Jews in South America, the Jews in Canada, what about them? So they said, are oh, the Jews in the West, the Western, Western assimilation would, would, would uh, get rid of them very quickly. <laughs> Rabbi Yisrael Meir Lau, he commented on the prayers we say, Rosh Hashanah, those who get killed by water, those who get killed by fire. And he says, killed kill, kill by fire, Hanul Aslan is, when someone dies by fire, the whole body is gone. I mean, when someone dies by water, the person's still intact, the body's still intact, just his soul is gone. In a similar way, the, there was those who were killed by fire, Afonso during the Holocaust, and those killed through the assimilation. Their, their whole Judaism was uh, swept away through assimilation. So how did Jewish people have this ability to, to rebuild? What, what gave us the power to rebuild in the way that we did, despite this incredible challenge, incredible, we can't even imagine the challenge it is. We, 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 don't, we have no words. We have no... We don't, I mean, the more we read about it, the more we learn about it, we still have no picture of what the Holocaust... There's like, no picture of the Mabul, the flood, of no matter how much we read every year about the story of the flood. We can't really picture the, 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 the incredible, dramatic change in the whole world. And yet, Noah rebuilds himself, and how does he do it? The answer is in the name Noah. Noah does Noah mean? Noah means tranquility. Noah means Shabbos. Noah was a believer. He didn't believe that in circumstance, that things just happened a certain way. He believed that he's, his life, was going on in his life, was arc, was created by Hashem. That there was an architect that was designing his life and that he is part of a big, bigger puzzle of God's plan for creation. And he's, it wasn't just like a living in a Hefkerwelt, in a world that just is like going on by itself. He believed and he felt that God is guiding every step of his life Wherever he's going, whatever's going on. I, I uh, when I was growing up in Massachusetts, there was a Holocaust survivor by the same name as me, Oliver uh, Shalom. His name was Moshe Levine. Moshe Levine, he um, 
he said he was one time standing in Auschwitz in the wintertime, snowing, and he was standing, he was diving Mincha, middle of Auschwitz. And while he's diving Mincha, a Nazi guard came over to him, and he pushed him on the ground, and he kicked him. And his reaction was, probably I didn't dive in the proper way. That was his reaction. That was his reaction. Actually, actually thought that way. You know, like, like that's, that's how he actually built, he felt that. And we, we learn in Tanya that a non Jew that serves your davening is meant to intensify God's testing you to intensify your concentration on davening. Okay, that's, that's something we're learning about. It's very nice. But imagine living that without the Tanya in the middle of Auschwitz. It's a lot in that perspective. Where does it come from? How did you have that perspective? The answer is because we are believers, children of believers. And because we are believers, children of believers, therefore, we're able to be like Noach and to recreate ourselves and, and, and to... It says in the Torah that after the flood, or during the flood, The only one that remained was Noach. Noach was the only one left. But there's another meaning of Yishor Ach Noach. Noach remained himself. He remained completely and wholly Noach. His essence didn't change. The whole world changed, but he didn't change. Why didn't he change? Because of who he was, because of the amuna, the powerful trust he had in God. Trust is different more than amuna, as, as someone pointed out last week. I, so he sent me a video that made a distinction between faith and trust. It's a whole different thing. Trust means that it's, this is the way it is. It's steadfast. It's real. So we also have a little bit of. We also have our own smaller mabuls, you know, smaller floods. And one person has a challenge in health. Another person has a challenge in a relationship. Another person has a challenge in earning a livelihood. And the question is, how do we deal with these marbles, these little marbles? So there was a Jew, his name was Lazar Nanus. Lazar Nanus, Shalom, he was someone who taught Torah on the ground in the Soviet, in Soviet Union. He was incarcerated for 20 years because of teaching Torah. And the uh, Rebbe actually told him after his incarceration that the time you spent in prison won't be counted. Won't be counted as part of your life. And he lived... Very, very long. He lived to over 100. How much? 100. Over 100. So, someone asked the ladies and gentlemen, if you could, if someone would give you a million dollars, not a million dollars of today, today is a million, is a new, uh, a million, uh, you know, a few decades ago, if someone would give you a million dollars to go back into prison for a moment, would you do it? He said no. But also, he added something else. He said, I wouldn't sell a moment either. I wouldn't sell a moment either. When we're in the middle of the rain, you know, you're in your life, it's raining, and there's clouds outside, and you don't know what to do. So what does Baal Shandu say? Baal Shandu says, go into the boat. What does the word boat mean? You all know what Baal Shandu say means? You know, you know right? Baal Shandu says the word boat means words. Don't just say the words of davening. Go into the words of davening. Very good. Believe in what you're doing. Believe in what you're saying. Don't just say the words of davening. Enter the words of davening. How do you go inside the words of davening? By really believing in what you're doing. By really believing Hashem is ta- that you're talking to Hashem and it's real. What happened to Noach when he was in the boat? Hashem saved him, Hashem saved his family, Hashem saved him the animals. So too, the Baal Shem said, every Jew can reach the highest level of attachment to Hashem. How? By believing and focusing in your davening. The Baal Shem you the highest level of attachment to God, and it protects everything going on in your life, your health, and your livelihood, and your family, and your nachas. It's all achieved by going into the boat. So although you're in a rainstorm, and it's raining, it's not, it, it, if you look outside, you see rain, but what's happening above the rain clouds? Above the clouds, what's happening? The sun is shining. And Hashem is, pre- is preparing a rainbow. Hashem is preparing a greater light. So while we're going through the whole rainstorm, we have to be conscious of the fact that we are a piece of the puzzle of Noah. What's Noah really mean? 
Noach means Shabbos. And what's the day? Of, what's the real Shabbos? Shabbos is the coming of Mashiach. Shabbos is the day that all will be Shabbos forever. If they, they say small people and big people have a different perspective. What's a small person? A small person is someone who has a small perspective. What's a small person? He says he gets very distraught, very affected by things that happen in his life. Why? Because he thinks something happening, he doesn't like it. He gets very upset. It's not the way I want it to be. I wanted to have... Like, I was upset. How come the pizza tonight wasn't... Um, anyways. So, so you get very upset because you're in a certain moment and you can't see past it. What's a, what's a big person think? A, big, a bigger person thinks, this is just a moment. Why well, you get something destroyed? Look, look, lar- live, look lar- at a larger perspective. Don't look at just, just this moment. My cousin, Rabbi uh, used to love in Palo Alto, he was going through a real crisis many years ago when he was uh, starting off his mission there in Palo Alto. And the kind of catastrophe he was going through made him reconsider the whole, his whole being in Palo Alto. And he visited the Rebbe that year for Pesach, it was 1986. And after Pesach, um, the Rebbe um, spoke, the Shabbos after Pesach, about the Haftorah. That's why Wagshal uh, delivered this, 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 this Rebbe on, on uh, Shavuos this year. This, he said, the Rebbe said, there is a young man who is in a valley. And he's in the, the Silicon Valley, right? In Palo Alto. He's a young man in a valley. And the young man feels that everyone around him is like dry bones. And he's wondering, what should he do with all these dry bones? How is he possibly going to, to, to survive this situation? Everyone is around him is dry bones. And not just dry. The, 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 the Torah says that Ezekiel, Yecheskel, was in a valley where Yeveshis made very dry. That's how he felt. You know, the Rebbe's talking to him. There's a young man in the valley. It's him. And everyone's around him is dry. Yes, everyone around him is dry. No one's alive. What should he do? What should he do? What did God tell Yecheskel? God asked Yecheskel, will these bones live? What was Yecheskel's response? Yecheskel said, God, you know if they'll live. How am I supposed to know if they'll live? So, what's the language of the Torah? You know, what did God say? You're not a bystander. You speak to the bones. Tell the bones, and they will have a spirit, and they will have life, and they will have flesh, and they will have, and they will have skin, and they will rise. And all of a sudden, Yecheskel sees millions of people get up, Get up from death, and they're alive. And Hashem tells Yechezkel, what you have seen is the res- is the all the Jewish people. This is the story of all the Jewish people. So the Rebbe said by this Fabregas, so when the young man's in the valley and he feels everyone's dead, everyone's not alive, everyone, there's no life anymore. How are you supposed to revive the Jewish people? The Rebbe said, speak to the bones, tell the bones, listen to the word of God. Tell the bones, I want to share with you a word of Torah. The Rebbe says, share words of Torah. Don't look at the fact that they're dry bones. Speak words of Torah, and you'll give life to these people. My cousin said, said, when he got back to Palo Alto, he, um, he used to always have this um, cigar that one of his congregants every Friday, Friday morning. They would sit together, they'd put their feet up on the desk, and they would, and they would have, maybe it wasn't was the desk, maybe it was, I don't know, but they would sit down and have a cigar. And when he came back after the, seeing, hearing these words from the Rebbe, what did he say? He said to himself, I should share this, share with this guy a word of Torah. Maybe, maybe one of your words, I mean, I should try this. So he asked the guy, hey, would you be interested in hearing a word of Torah? I was like, okay. So he tells him a word of Torah. And the guy never tasted this before. Wow. And he all of a sudden, his feet are off the desk. Tell me more. Tell me more. Wow, where did this come from? Amazing. Oh, yeah, this is the Torah. This is our... And it was a pivotal moment for this mic that he was learning with. It was a pivotal moment for him. It was a pivotal moment for his community. Not just his community, but the, the, 
the communities and the schools and institutions that, that were produced as a result of that encounter are all because of that moment where he said, I'm going to speak to the bones. I'm going to talk to the bones. So in a similar way, when we are encountering the floods in our life, we could look at it and say, oh, this is a flood, this is terrible. Or we could say that we could go into the ark. We could say, Hashem is telling me now you need to go into the boat, go into the words of Torah, go into the words of prayer, and, and believe in it. Believe in the words of Torah, believe in the prayer. And in a way, I think of every morning in a similar way, maybe, it's, I don't know if it's true or not, but I think like every morning, it's sort of like a similar thing. You start off your day, you pray, you're in Torah, right? You're in a, you're in a civilized place. Then you go out in the world, it's a flood. And then you come back to Mincha. At the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, it's a, similar, a similar thing. So what, what's the key? The key is to live like Noah, to live with the vision of the coming Mashiach. The Mashiach is coming. And whatever is going on is part of the coming Mashiach. Nothing happened in our life that's not part of the coming Mashiach. Everything that happens in the world is all part of this big picture of the coming Mashiach. And whatever waves go on in our life, to realize it's not just an isolated, uh, random reality, but it's all part of the plan of Hashem for the, for the rainbow. The Zohar says the rainbow is a sign of the Biyas Mashiach. And uh, we should merit to see this happen tonight. Biyas Mashiach, Mazgalos Lukus, Machayim Machayim. Any questions or comments? All right. Thank you all for joining.